You are listening to History Man 1781, a project of ekbarns.com, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's podcast, we are featuring Ola Jean Kelly, the first executive director of the Union County Museum in Union, South Carolina. Welcome, Ola. Thank you. Ola, uh, Union County has a great history uh, that spans uh, from pre-revolutionary war times all the way up through today. And your museum here magnifies that whole history in a, in, a, in a very professional way. And I'm very impressed by your museum here. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about uh, Union County and, and how it got its name. Okay. Our early settlers came primarily from Pennsylvania and Virginia. In a large part, they were Presbyterian uh, folks, very religious folks. And the first group here built a little log cabin church out on the east side of what is now Union County on Browns Creek, and the Indians burned it. Uh, we had Catawba and Cherokee then. I don't know which tribe burned it. Uh, that's just a part of oral history. During the, or at the time of the Revolution, the Presbyterians built a church a little bit closer to Union, and the Tories burned that one. I see. And after the war was over, they built a third facility, insofar as we can ascertain, and uh, realized that they were not using their facility every Lord's Day, primarily because they didn't have a minister. The Presbyterians at that time were requiring their ministers to have a college degree, and we didn't have a lot of those in this area. And so, being very generous folk, they invited anybody who wanted to use the building. I think it might have been used as a school, too. Can't prove that, but that's uh, conjectured. and uh, it became known as the Union Church. And so we take our name from a church and from a movement that people work together for the good of all. Well, that is that's great. That, that's a great story. Tell me about the, uh, the, the growth of this, this particular area from there. Well, we were largely, for a long time, we were agricultural. Uh, and then we, the textile mills came in mm-hmm. uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, and the mills were growing so rapidly that the mill owners were sending trains to the mountains of North Carolina and wagons to bring whole families down. And uh, my, my father's family was one of those families came down from Buncombe County, North Carolina. That's interesting. Uh, you're exactly right. The textile industry uh, brought in all of these mountain folks. Uh, my people came from Robbinsville, North Carolina and came down to Gastonia. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the textile industries did, they were looking for cheap labor and these hard scrabble farmers were the, the place to go to to find that. So they weren't making a, they were barely scraping out a living up in the, mm-hmm. the coves up in North Carolina. Let's go back to the Revolutionary War. Um, so Union, the, the, the Union Church, uh, and then after the Revolutionary War, wasn't, uh, wasn't this place name something else at that time, right after the Revolutionary War? There was a movement to name us Brandenburg in honor of Thomas Brandon, our Revolutionary War hero. In fact, we can show you that in the minutes of the court when he met. Uh, for some reason, that that didn't make everybody happy, so it didn't happen. I see, I see. So what are some of the other uh, stories that have, that, that have come out of this area that, you, that y'all know about here? The Revolutionary War itself. Yes, okay. Uh, we had uh, some battles here, some skirmishes here. Uh, probably the 
three largest or the most prominent were Fish Dam. That's named for the fish dam that is in the Broad, Broad River. And when the water's low enough, you can cross the bridge going to Chester County and look, look to the north and you can see the fish dam in the, in the river. Uh, that was Thomas Sumter and, and the, uh, I've forgotten who Cornwallis sent up there to, Cornwallis was over in Fair, Fairfield County. I believe they sent uh, Wymus, Wymus, who yes. was one of the captains under Tarleton, and right. they sent him after Sumter. I think they actually put a bounty on Sumter's head mm -hmm. or something like that. One of Sumter's lieutenants kind of saved the day and put out the pickets, and an and, uh, and interesting story of uh, they kind of hoodwinked the, the British into, into attacking the wrong oh, camp. <laughs> so, Went over the riverbank and escaped. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and they got Wymus, and Wymus had a list of... In his pocket. A list in his pocket of all the uh, the rebels that they were or the patriots that they were going to get, and uh, I believe Thomas Sumter burnt that list because he was afraid of repercussions towards Wymus. And uh, I had heard somewhere, and I and I, I've not been able to document it, that Wymus had burned Thomas Sumter's house, and with his wife and son were still in the house, and the son was an invalid, and they barely got out with their lives. Have you ever heard that story? Uh, I've heard a version of that story where his uh, wife had a, a gimpy arm or kind of a, a, a fragile arm, and they sat her down in a chair and put a, and one of the soldiers put a ham up underneath her chair, and uh, while they burned the house. Uh, so what are the other other places? You said uh, there were two other battles. Musgrove Mill. Okay. And uh, Blackstock, right here in Union County. At Blackstock Plantation. Uh, interesting story about that. Uh, Bannister Tarleton was Cornwallis's golden-haired boy. Uh, had kind of a wild reputation, but he was a blatant liar. We have a copy in the Union County Museum of a note that he wrote to Cornwallis after the Battle of Fish, uh, excuse me, Blackstock, uh, that said, we've cut the enemy to pieces. And then he, he lists all that he needs, wagons, replacements, everything everything, you know, right down the line. Thomas Sumter was almost killed in that battle, too. Right. At the end of the battle, rather. Right. Uh, and, uh, of course, by then it was on to Capins and on to the end of the war. Well, Musgrove Mills also happened here in Union County. Yes. And it happened uh, right at the time of the Battle of Camden. And there were actually, when Battle of Camden took place, when Gates was coming down from North Carolina to <coughs> approach Camden, he met up with Francis Marion, sent Francis Marion to cut off the uh, supply lines and burn all the boats on the on the rivers to Charleston to to uh, cut off the supply. He sent Sumter around to take a Carey's Fort, which was on the southeast side of Camden, or southwest side of Camden, just across the Watery River. But at the same time, the militia coming down from North Carolina were engaging uh, the Tories at at uh, Musgrove Mills. And although Camden was a big loss for for the Patriots, Musgrove Mills was a big win. And uh, there's, a, there's actually one story in there where the Tories, this, despite the fact that they were fleeing the scene, uh, one of the Tories pulled down his parents when he got across the river, or across the creek, and he, and he, uh, he tried to, to show off a little bit. And one of the <laughs> One of the Patriots lined up his rifle and, and made him pay for it. So, uh, but they were uh, they were soundly defeated, and it was uh, a harbinger of things to come 
uh, as far as uh, what the British had to look forward to after they made it, uh, if they wanted to push further north from Camden. So great history here in Union. In the thing that's sad is that when I was in school and uh, I was an honor student, I never knew about the, this revolutionary uh, history that Union had. It first came to my attention when an, an author, who's also an attorney, called for some information and she said, you do know that the American Revolution was won in the South Carolina backcountry. And I had to admit to her that I didn't know there were any battles fought here. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about your relative that was actually in the Revolutionary War. Well, this was my fourth great-grandfather. Uh, his name was James Tracy. He was born in Maryland in 1760. Mm -hmm. came south. Uh, in the war, he was in several battles. He was uh, in the Battle of Rocky Mount, uh, Hanging Rock, and the one here, Blackstock's Plantation. Ms. Blackstock went out that day and told Thomas Sumter he couldn't have a battle in her yard, but he did anyway. And you know, they buried the, the uh, British who were killed that day. They buried them where they fell. Is that right? And we had a member of our board who had a divining rod, and he would take it out there and show you uh, where the graves were and he told us that one of them is a woman and we haven't figured out yet uh, How they got a woman in the battle well, uh, The battle of black stocks is actually there, there's several different uh, underlying stories that go with that battle they had uh, a, a woman uh, who came out there and took some of Tarleton's horses during the battle and uh, and so and then Sumter got shot, the Tarleton lost, you know, and there's a lot of different stories out there. Beautiful battlefield. Uh, oh, yes. It's very well preserved. It's uh, it, like some of these other battles, even the Civil War battles uh, up north, you've got great big uh, malls that are in, in subdivisions that have gone across that battlefield, but mm -hmm. Blackstock Battlefield is still uh, pretty much like it was back in the Revolution. I'm not a person that, that sees ghosts and feels spirits, but I feel something when I'm at Blackstock. Is that right? I like to be out there by myself. They're quiet. There, one of the historians in Camden uh, had to remind the listeners that literally these, these battlefields are holy ground. Yes. Uh, they, are, they are, a lot of them still have mass graves. And uh, you, you were talking about Blackstocks and the soldiers were buried right where they lay. That was not unusual, and it was an unmarked grave. Uh, in other places, you find nothing more than a stone, an upright stone, at a gravesite. And years later, you know, those things are overrun or whatever. But uh, uh, Blackstocks is a, is a is a unique battlefield, preserved through time. I just remembered history. another woman. I don't remember what her name was, but she saw uh, Bannister Tarleton and his men approaching. Her husband was a farmer, and she got on a mule, uh, uh, yeah, a mule and went around the, uh, the soldiers and warned Thomas Sumter and the folks at Blackstock that they were coming. Wow, wow. So there was a loyalist in this area that, uh, that y'all have mentioned several times in the, in the conversations leading up to this podcast. Tell us a little bit about Mr. Fletchall. Well, he was obese. <laughs> is, that, is that the most unique thing about Mr. Fletchall? Well, it, it caused something there interesting. Okay. Uh, uh, he chose the wrong side in the war, and that didn't sit well with the local people. Uh -huh. And uh, they invited him to leave and forced him to leave. 
And we're told that he tried to hide himself inside a hollow tree. So this is after the Revolutionary War when they were having all these, uh, these, down in Charleston, I think they were having a lot of court proceedings trying to decide who was so in line with the the British that they're not going to be able to live within the state of South Carolina anymore. Mm -hmm. And they had to forfeit their their lands and their holdings and that sort of thing. Uh, So this is around, this is after the Revolutionary War. And he owned about, well, I think it was, it was during, uh, he owned about 4,000 acres on the Tiger River. And after he was invited to leave, the land was put up for sale. And Thomas Brandon was so highly regarded that nobody would bid against him. It was sold at the courthouse in Union, which property sales took place. And he got it for a song. Wow. Wow. So do we know where Fletchall went from there? Went to Charleston, I understand. I and then I think he went to one of the islands and uh, lived out his life there. Tell me some other stories. There's a, there's a cannonball upstairs. There are two cannonballs upstairs. Okay, tell me about those. One of them was found at the site of, uh, uh, at, at, the, at the river. The fellow was fishing and ran out of bait and decided to dig on the bank of the river to get some more worms and found this cannonball and brought it in to us and uh, was very excited and thought he was going to be able to retire on the sale of that cannonball, but he did give it to the museum. We paid him a small amount for it. The only thing we've ever purchased, but it was uh, tested by people who know about that sort of thing, and it was originally from that period. We have, we have one from Brandon's defeat. Fellow was planting his wife some fruit trees. Plumgrove. Shrubbery thing, yeah. And dug a cannonball up. Our cannon is fully functional. It was made by a local blacksmith, and we've even fired it a couple of times. Uh, for ammunition, we used uh, dog food cans with cement in them. There were, there's a map upstairs uh, that was drawn by one of the local historians, I believe. Dr. Alan Charles, who teaches history at the university here. I see. So tell me a little bit about uh, some of the revolutionary mem- memorabilia that you have here at the museum. Well, we have some bits and pieces that were picked up at the Battle of Blackstone. Uh, we were saying that there's some belt buckles and... Uh, so tell me about uh, the, the stone uh, placard up there with Brandon's name on it. Uh, where did that come from? There was a plaque that was fastened to the gatepost of the Union Cemetery that listed some of the people that were buried there. Uh, it kept falling off because it was so heavy and we were afraid it was going to disappear. Right. And we had a smaller, lighter weight stone that could be a thick, um, probably a metal, not a, not a stone, a metal plaque that could be affixed to the gatepost and brought the stone one in here for, for safekeeping. The museum, when we started out this, out this uh, podcast, tried to tell the listeners that this is a, a great little museum that you have here. Uh, what would you want people to take away from their visit to Union? Well, I, I know that I'm prejudiced, but this I think we've got the best small museum in the state. In fact, uh, Dr. Jim Kibler, who was a professor at the University of Georgia, gave us that title. We, uh, he's uh, a friend of ours. Uh, we share a love of singing Billy Walker and the musician. And uh, it's just a great museum, and we've got a wonderful collection. And when you think that... We've never purchased anything except that cannonball. Everything else has been donated. And we're out of room. Uh, this has been a, a, a conflict between <laughs> I say no when she says yes <laughs> to, to things. And, and thank goodness for that because uh, we've achieved so much more, more than we had when we started. 
But we've been collected, people of Union have been collected for a long time. And we had a museum on the second floor of a building at the other end of Main Street. And it was just open on Sundays. And sometimes the people that had the keys would forget to come. And it was not a good situation. And so the county and the city helped us get this building. Well, it's, it's a wonderful little building. It's a wonderful little museum. And I think you're right. It's the best little museum in the state of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're exactly right on that. You had a joke that you wanted, or not a joke, but a, a little story that happened at church uh, recently or uh, in the past. You had, a, you had an incident that happened at church that, that uh, our listeners, I think, would, would enjoy hearing. Well, it was a holiday on Sunday, and our pastor had asked anybody in the congregation who had served in the military to stand so we could thank them, and we did. Well, that night, he said, I realized that I should have gone a little further and say if anybody in the congregation has a relative who served who's no longer with us, and you would like to stand in their honor, would you stand? Well, I stood up. And after church, the lady that was sitting next to me said, who did you stand up for? And I said, well, my husband served in the Korean conflict. My oldest brother served in, the, in World War II. My great-grandfather fought in the war between the states. My great-great-great-great-grandfather was in uh, the American Revolution, and I had relatives in the War of 1812. And she looked at me and she said, y'all don't get along with anybody, do you? <laughs> oh, if that doesn't describe South Carolina, I don't know what does. <laughs> In the words of Ola Jean Kelly, what does liberty mean to you? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Freedom to be who God wanted me to be, who he created me to be. Would you not have that anyway? I can think of situations where... That wouldn't be possible, but it is now. I'm very grateful for that. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting with you. It's a pleasure from uh, our listener's standpoint to hear your, your memories and, and, and the history here in Union County, and I know that uh, the next few podcasts will be just as interesting to them. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity, and do come see us again. Okay. And Roz, is, my successor, is doing a wonderful job. She's very creative, and she's got lots of good ideas.